Hello, Texas, and welcome. It's the show that takes you inside NRG Stadium. Mark Vandermeer with you in the Hyundai Texans radio studio with John Harris. And it's Thursday night, and the tradition continues, a tradition unlike any other. The General, John McClain from the Houston Chronicle, joining us on Texans Radio on Thursday nights. It's like death and taxes. Set your watch to it. Here he is again. Good evening, General. How's it going? It's going a lot better since I got the uh, power back and electricity. I will never, ever take it for granted again. John, I mean, you've lived here for a few years in Houston and in Texas and your youth in Waco and all of it. So tell me, have you ever experienced anything like this week? When I was growing up in Waco, we used to have a lot of uh, ice in the winter. I got stuck one time in a parking lot at a movie theater because they didn't give us any warning. Another time I got stuck in a parking lot of a mall. Same reason. But today, of course, we got plenty of warning this week. But I've never seen anything like what's happened. It's like Texas got caught with his pants down, and I'm assuming a lot of heads are going to roll because of it, and I feel bad for everybody who doesn't have water, everybody who went without electricity. Uh, we did for about two and a half days, mm. and uh, I uh, I just feel bad for everybody. Hopefully, uh, they will. The, our government and our uh, people that supply the power get their act together and if we have to go through this again, uh, it won't uh, cause so many people to not have power. One time, I think it was 89, I got up and my pipes were froze, but I had not done anything ahead of time to uh, prepare for it, like let the faucets drip. That's the only other time I've ever experienced anything like this. This is a storm, and this goes for both of you guys, but I can't remember a time when – Every single person that I know, which obviously is a, a very small cross-section of people in the Houston area, but I don't know if there's a person out there that can say, yeah, we never lost power in this whole thing. My family throughout Harvey in 2017 didn't lose power one time. My whole neighborhood never lost it one time. And all of a sudden, we get Snowmageddon 2021, and everybody I know lost at least power, and I have no idea about the water. And of course, I'll ask you the question Mark asked me. We'll put it in NFL terms, General. Last night, Mark asked me, power, water, internet, roof over your house, what each one of those were. And I said my number one draft pick would be water. That would be my left tackle. Uh, and that power would be my edge rusher. And my quarterback would be the roof over my head. How would you draft those four uh, interesting and yet uh, needed elements in your life? Well, that's a little deep for me to have to think about that in football <laughs> terms, but I'll say this. You know, you can you can dress warmly like I slept sitting up in a chair wearing my ski jacket and gloves and a cap pulled down over my ears plus a hoodie, but it's the water to me that you have to have. And uh, just because, you know, you don't want it, it's just too much trouble to have to fill up your toilet with bath water to flush the toilet. So give me water any day of the week. Yeah, well said. I mean, the, the weird yep. thing with no power, though, after, after a couple of days, it gets into your head. And it just, I, I can't think clearly anymore. It's just very strange how it goes. But we don't have to belabor the point here. Let's hope everybody is as well, safe as I, possible. I read two books. You know, we <laughs> think about how easy we have it. Not having my internet, I had a hot spot I could fix with my iPhone, but it didn't work at the house, so I'd have to go out into the car 
and I did talk shows in the car. It actually felt good because I could be warm. I think I used about a tank of gas just sitting there doing talk shows and, and having this hot spot to send stories to the Chronicle. But uh, it it uh, people were so helping, and I was so jealous mm -hmm. of all those people. I'd actually drove around my neighborhood one night, and I'd see four or five houses with lights on and there's <laughs> generators, and I thought, man, oh man, think how much money they spent, how long they waited to use them, but it was worth it. Oh, yeah. I mean, what a luxury. I love electricity. This just in breaking news. So, General, Carson Wentz to the Colts. Your thoughts on that deal? Let's start there because it definitely affects the Houston Texans being in the AFC South and being the nemesis of Houston. Well, Philip Rivers played really well last year for the Colts, and then he surprised everybody when he retired. Carson Wentz has not played well in a while. He seemed to have issues when they drafted Jalen Hurts from Channel View in Oklahoma in the second round, and he didn't adjust well to it. So if Frank Wright got him for a three and a two, and a, the two could be a one based on what he does, and everybody thinks if anybody can take care of his career and try to get him back on the right track, it would be Frank Wright. And so uh, as someone who covers the Texans in the AFC South, if I'm Texans fans, I would rather see Carson Wentz with the Colts based on how he's played recently than Phillip Rivers, who played very well, and they went 11-5. and five. John, this might sound like a weird question, especially after making a deal for Carson Wentz, a guy you feel like is going to be your future. The Colts did draft Jacob Eason last year, and I don't think he's very good. Do you think the Colts could possibly look at a quarterback at some point in this draft, maybe even at number 21? I would think the only one at that point available would be Mac Jones from out of Alabama. Do you think Indianapolis would do something like that? Well, absolutely not. I don't think Chris Ballard, the GM, who's very smart, would make a deal for Carson Wentz if they didn't plan on him being a starting quarterback next season. Therefore, they would use that on something else. And I'll bet you right now he trades out of the first round to get back yeah. those picks because yep. nobody likes to trade down like and compile a lot of picks like Chris Ballard does. So I think they're set. And if they thought Jacob Eason was the answer, they never would have made that deal for Carson Wentz. Which confirms my thought on Jace, Jacob Eason and also confirms the thought, General, on the fact that Chris Ballard ruins a good draft party better than anybody in the entire league because he's always trading out of the first round. He does. And one of the things I like about Chris Ballard, one of the many things, because he used to live here when he was scouting for the Bears before he went to Kansas City, is, is he will meet with the media and explain to them everything he did, let them ask questions, because he likes for them to say, be accurate and have an idea of what they did. That's one of the reasons they like him so much. And he such, gets such great publicity when he explains his thinking. So if he, at some point, he's going to, I don't mean just as a Zoom call. I'm talking about now, since we were on Zooms last year, but what he usually does, he invites the media over there for a special session, sits down with them, goes over everything on, on tape, and then lets them ask questions. And I'm sure they got a lot of questions when the time comes about Carson Wentz and if he trades out of the first round for more picks, I think it'd be more surprising if he stayed in the first round and take, took a player as opposed to trading out. Their need a left tackle because fans are retired 
And uh, they've done a great job with their offensive line, but that seems to be their primary need. And they also have, it's interesting, T.Y. Hilton's a free agent. So is Zach Pascal. Both those guys made some big plays against the Texans. So they do have needs, but none is more important than that left tackle to help protect Carson Wentz, who had more turnovers than any quarterback. And he got a sack more than any quarterback, I believe. Wow. I thought we were the ones who ruined draft parties because three out of four years, no first-round draft party. But we're at least able to plan for it, though, Mark. They have a first-rounder going into the first night, and then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, sorry, guys, we traded out of the pick. That was done like two or three times. The the night we had the uh, second and third round, uh, well, it was really third round picks. The night they took Justin Reed, Martinez Rankin, and mm-hmm. also Jordan Thomas, that was actually a pretty cool draft party on a Friday night. Mm-hmm. But uh, maybe we do something like that again. Who knows? Uh, COVID last year, obviously, no draft party. General, I wanted to ask you about Deshaun Watson and all the talk around the national media fans and players too. I heard Kareem Jackson say some things. I'm thinking. Isn't some of this tampering after some time? I mean, I think that, of course, the media can have a free-for-all about anything they want, but when the players start weighing in, it just feels wrong, and I think that it's so out there, this narrative is so out there, it's hard to keep it contained, and guys just feel free to comment, but aren't they not supposed to comment on other teams' players as if to lure them to play for their team? You're not supposed to, but they do, you know, um, I've done one Denver show today. I've got another one later today and one tomorrow, all trying to find a way for me to tell them they can get Deshaun Watson at number nine. And I said, guys, when Kareem wakes up from that dream and realizes <laughs> he's just dreaming a nightmare, there's no way Deshaun Watson's coming to Denver, even if they do decide to trade him. They're not taking Drew Locke. It doesn't matter what kind of great debut he had as a starter against them. If he was that good, the Broncos wouldn't be looking to get rid of him. So I do this all the time. Now I'm doing it because of what? Everybody's calling, you think J.J. White wants to come here? And uh, so I try to tell with what? It could be anybody as long as your team is a contender. And I tell them, I say, my leading candidates would be Tennessee. And then also others would be Green Bay. Pittsburgh would be a great story for the family, but they don't need a defensive lineman. They got cap issues. They need offensive players. So as much as it would be great for the White family, I don't see him going there because he might have to take the minimum. At this point, J.J. Watt's not taking the minimum. General, whenever you are on Sports Radio 610, I always make it a point to listen, no matter what I've got going on. And a few days ago, maybe at the end of last week, I think it was, and you were asked about Will Fuller. I got asked this question today down at Jacksonville. I was caught off guard by it, actually. And when you were asked about Will Fuller, you said they'd franchise him, they'd try and keep him. Do you think that's the case? What do you think the Texans do with Will Fuller, who is coming up on unrestricted free agent status? I think they try to sign him or they franchise him. If they let him walk, they get a third-round compensatory pick if he stayed healthy. People think sometimes you lose a good player and automatically you're going to get a three. No, there's a complicated formula, and what he does plays a big role and that's if you don't sign more guys than you let go. Like uh, D.J. Reader, if D.J. hadn't been hurt then, and they didn't sign guys, they would have gotten a high pick for him. So I think if you were to let Fuller go, and I wrote about this uh, for the series that Aaron Wilson and I are doing for Texas Sports Nation and the Chronicle, and I'm working right now on the wide receivers. And if you think about this, say they let Fuller go. 
Then they have Brandon Cooks and Brandon Cooks, and then it would become a need. They don't have a first or second round pick. It's a deep receiver draft. It is the deepest free agent class I've ever seen. Keep an eye on Demir Bird from the Patriots because with Nick Casario running the show and Jack Easterby working closely with him and those guys coming from New England, every time I'm looking, I'm seeing what productive Patriot player is out there. And Bird was a pretty good player that you could probably get for pretty cheap. But to me, based on what Fuller has done when healthy or not suspended, you've got to keep it. But, you know, when you have a new regime coming in, they may want to let him go. Um, they may – the fact is, we don't know what to expect from Nick Casario and David Culley because they're new on the job. This time next year, we'll have a much better idea of how they operate when it comes to free agency and the draft. John, with the departure of Watt and the fact that Lovey is coming in to coach the defense, do you look at this, and I guess it was going to happen anyway, it could have happened anyway, a complete overhaul of the front seven? I mean, how do you see that shaping up with Lovey, maybe 4-3 and however else they set it up? And I know there's sub packages and everything. What are your thoughts on that front seven? Yeah, first of all, uh, not counting quarterback, all they need on offense, they need a running back and they probably need a right guard. And you don't know what James Camp and the new line coach will think about all the players, but he's got a lot of them to pick from. And, um, you know, hopefully he likes the guys they have, and then they got to get a running back. And if you don't have first and second round pick, as you know, that's a good position to not take in the first or second round. But as far as the defense, you know, Lovey Smith has always played a four-man front. Tampa two, get after him with the pass rushers, and have a middle linebacker could drop deep into coverage. And uh, they have some difficult decisions to make on defense. Why would love playing for Lovey Smith, but JJ didn't want to go through a rebuild. And I don't blame him. So he, he, we asked to be released and they did. Now he's so happy because he can go where he wants or where he gets offers and he has, he will have multiple offers. But when you play a four man front, it's the first time they've done it since 2010 when uh, Wade Phillips came the next year, and even though they started four-man front seven games this year out of necessity to try to stop the run. You know, Charles Manny, who Ross Blacklock, I think Blacklock will be better off playing in the scheme that Lovey Smith has played, assuming Lovey's going to play what he used to. Now, he's been in college football at Illinois for quite a while, but I'm guessing he's going to go with what helped him go to the Super Bowl as a defensive coordinator and go to the Super Bowl as a head coach. So it's going to be fun. Like Jonathan Grenard, he'll be a defensive end. He's not an outside linebacker in a 4-3. So you would have Grenard going into his second year, Blacklock second year, Amenahu third year. I would think he could benefit from uh, this scheme. You don't know how P.J. Hall uh, would fit in. He'd have to be re-signed and, and uh, Brandon Dunn. But I would think it would start up front. I don't think they need a lot of linebackers, but uh, they have tough decisions to make on the inside, especially if you're playing a 4-3. But the biggest position next to the line, of course, is corners. They need some corners. And the opposite of the wide receivers. It is not a great free agent class, and it's not a good draft class. It's the complete opposite of the receivers from that standpoint. General, the uh, – the news came out, I think it was earlier today, actually, that the salary cap for 2021 will be $180 million at a minimum. 
How much good news do you think that was for NFL teams to at least see that? We had heard 175. That was kind of you know, worst case, but now it's a minimum of 180. Where do you think uh, that leaves the Texans from a salary cap standpoint? You start talking about the defense. There are some decisions they may have to make financially on some of those guys on the defense, but how much good news was it to hear 180 million at a minimum as opposed to 175, what we thought maybe going into last year? Well, we've known that for weeks. It was going to be at least 180, and it'll, it'll probably be at least 185. One of the things they're trying to do, they made a lot of money in broadcast, even though they didn't make as much money not having home games, of course. But and especially if these new network deals get done, the ESPN deal expires after next season, and then the rest of them expire after 2022. They've been negotiating uh, heavily, intensively on all of them, trying to get them done this offseason. We'd like to get them done before the start of the league year on March 17th so they could elevate the cap more. The union doesn't want a lot of players being cut, especially veterans and especially the middle class. You know, the expensive guys will always make their money. The young, cheap guys will make their money uh, because they're young and cheap. So the union doesn't want all of a sudden teams cutting all these guys who are five, six, seven, eight-year veterans. So they're working hard with the league. And I don't think teams want to do that either. And you don't want, you know, 500 veteran players out there on the market and a lot of teams not having money to get them. So I've been working off $185 million, and uh, that would put the Texans $12.1 million under the cap. Nick Serio has some tough decisions on not just uh, saving money by getting rid of some players, but also eating some money. And that's what you do when you come in new. I'm really excited to see what Casario does. You know, there's no general, there was no personnel director more deserving of a GM job than Casario. He six Super Bowl rings and 20, 20 years with the Patriots in the last 13 as Bill Belichick's right-hand man. So I think that would be so exciting to watch him work because, man, oh, man, as you guys know, he has got his work cut out. And one of the things I'm hoping, Xerio and Cully and, and uh, Tim Kelly, at some point before the draft, can meet with Deshaun Watson and Agent David Bowl together. Social distancing in which Watson lays out exactly why he wants to be traded. And then have those three lay out for him exactly what their plan is to rebuild this team and get them back into playoff contention. And if they can spell it out to him and he can spell it out to them, and then after they hear it from each other, because you can't beat one-on-one -on -one communication, then that's when they would have to make a decision. Does he come back? If not, does he dig in for the long haul? Uh, they've got to sign another quarterback besides Josh McCown, because that guy could be starting number one all through the off-season program, training camp preseason, maybe into regular season. So that's something that, uh, you know, we all hope they get worked out because nobody wants to see Watson traded. Nope. And the funny thing <laughs> about McCown is last year, I would have loved to see him take maybe one snap, like a kneel down, just so we could say that a guy from the quarterback class of David Carr actually played for the Texans in 2020, played, took a snap and took a knee or whatever. I think that would have been kind of cool, but that would have been just ceremonial, of course. Uh, General. Let me tell you something else right yeah. quick about McCown. So even though they, the Texans, Cal McNair, Nick Casario, and David Culley say that Deshaun Watson will be a Texan next season, everybody hopes that's true. 
but just in case the time comes that they do decide to trade him, and I thought all along that should start with the Jets, who have the second pick. I was told by people who work for the Jets and people who cover the Jets, Sam Darnold had his best season working with Josh McCown because McCown was like another coach for him. And when McCown left, Darnold's been hurt. He's been inconsistent. So I thought, okay, if you're going to take, say, there are two number ones this year, there are two number ones next year, throw in Josh McCown, let him play till the second overall pick is ready, and then trade him for a pick. But uh, I'm sure he would love to be reunited with McCown because people with the Jets, as well as other teams, but especially the Jets, just swear by Josh McCown, not so much as a quarterback anymore, but the influence he has on his teammates. And that's why everybody says he's going to be a good coach when the time comes for him to start that next part of his career. Well, not that I would even want to entertain that kind of talk with the Jets, but if I were to entertain it and you were to do something, I got to take a quarterback number two overall. I can't put my, my money in the Darnold bank, even though no, he had it's got to be the second count. overall pick, Zach Wilson of BYU. Yeah, that's what you would do. If, and that's an if, and I don't want to even go there. No. John, tell me about Tennessee and what they're thinking right now this offseason. Are they thinking, gee, if we just get this defense going, we, our offense is fine. We can contend. We just need a better defense. We maybe sign Watt. Who knows what they do? But is that the mindset in Nashville this offseason? Absolutely. The general manager, John Robinson, mentioned in a Zoom call with the media last week, they've been in contact with Watt, meaning Tom Condon, his agent. Tom Condon lives in Nashville. And um, Watt, of course, very familiar with the city. Amy Adams Strunk was the first owner, besides the McNairs, to give him money for his uh, Hurricane Harvey relief. She gave him a million dollars. As I told him on my show up there, that's kind of a down payment on getting him. And he loves Vrabel. They had a great relationship. He knows Shane Bowen, who calls his defense. And uh, there's others there he knows. And they tried with Vic Beasley last year, Jadevion Clowney. Got nothing out of either one of them. But, you know, with J.J., he could step right in, you know, put him next to uh, Jeffrey Simmons, who is pretty darn good at tackle. That would be a, an awesome twosome. But I think there's going to be multiple teams. And I'm guessing when it comes down to it, there will be two or three. And that's when money will be an issue if it's even and one offers a better deal. I bet that's where he goes. But he's certainly not going to take big bucks to go to a bad team that has salary cap run. And I don't see him going to a team like Cincinnati so he can play next to D.J. Reader again. I think it's going to be one of the contenders. And uh, Tennessee, you know, a lot of fans here wouldn't like to see him twice a year. I think that would be great. Who's a bigger contender, John? Cleveland, Buffalo, or Tennessee? Those are the three we've heard rumor with J.J. Which of those three would make the most sense from a contender standpoint? Well, I tell people this in Cleveland, he gets to play opposite Miles Garrett. And he hasn't had ever playing opposite somebody like that who could rush the passer. Since Bill O'Brien traded Devion Clowney, he hadn't had anybody on the other side that could be disruptive. And this year, according to ESPN's facts and figures, why was double team more than he edge rusher in the NFL? Number two was Ladarius Smith of the Packers. So people in Green Bay are saying, hey, bring Watt home. Then you have the two edge rushers who were double teamed the most. That'll cut their double teams big time. So it's a possibility. 
and Buffalo, of course, could use him as well. So could Kansas City. And people say, you know, weather's not an issue with Watt. He grew up in Wisconsin. He played at Wisconsin. And I said, yeah. But when he puts out things on Twitter about he and his wife, Kelly, are going on vacation, uh, you see him outside. You know, except when they go home to his home in Milwaukee. Uh, you don't see them go skiing. They're, all, they're always in the sun. Don't rule out Tampa. Tom Brady calls him. Wide wants to have fun. Playing for Bruce Arians is fun. He, he and Kalia could sail around Tampa Bay with Tom and Giselle on a yacht and uh, try to win another Super Bowl. So he has so many intriguing possibilities. Uh, I don't think – I think it'll be done, of course, by March 17th, but it's certainly something fun to follow. And I just – I hope when he comes back here, no matter who it's with, they're able to sell tickets – normally and hear the ovation we will hear an ovation for him like we've never heard before for my texans fans god i hate talking about that but yes good point all right general thanks so much for the time what do you have going on in the houston chronicle for us uh, we have this draft this series not draft series texans position by position series which we do in nine parts i've got offense special teams aaron wilson at, at defense check them out thank you guys very much I hope you stay warm and stay safe. Thank you, General. Coming up, I will answer John Harris's last question that he asked John McClain, even though he didn't ask me. I'll answer it anyway. And Johnny's thoughts on how players are going to be evaluated prior to the draft without the combine. We'll get to it all next on Texans Radio. It's Texans Radio. Try to stay warm like the rest of you. Mark Vandermeer and John Harris with you. Thanks a lot to the General John McClain for being on with us in the last segment. And, Johnny, you asked the General – Uh, The last question you asked him was, who's the bigger contender for the championship you meant? And that's maybe where Watt could or would or should go, right? Well, that was kind of my point is that if everybody is saying, and I know JJ wants to play for a contender, Mm -hmm. so all things being equal, i.e. the money being equal, and maybe not the money's equal. Is it more like those three teams, I thought of the three in the AFC. Now, if I'm him, I go to Tampa. I mean, yeah. even just to experience going to Super Bowl, winning a Super Bowl, even if it's a, a million bucks for the year. But it looks like Shaq Barrett's going to take cash wherever he goes. So there could be an opportunity. Now they're not the same guy, of course. Yeah. But they may have some of their guys. So Tampa would be the one I would choose. But between Cleveland, Buffalo, and Tennessee, which of those three would be the, the contender, if you will, for J.J.? Well, if I'm going to the best contender out of those three, it's Buffalo, right? Buffalo is as ready-made as it gets – among those three because they have the defense Josh Allen's getting better at quarterback I know it didn't end well in the postseason for him but the dramatic improvement from 2019 to 2020 and not that he's going to go up that level every year uh, but he shouldn't get any worse in 2021 and I just believe that that's the best situation for him I don't really believe in the quarterback situation in Cleveland as much as a lot of people do Uh, I like the guy I just think that I don't know. I just saw a lot of throws that were not quite where they needed to be. The accuracy issues are there. And then you look at Tennessee, like we said, uh, why would have to feel like he's going to be the one that make the, that makes the difference on that side of the football, along with whatever changes they make in order to get the defense up to speed with their offense as a contender. So we'll see how that goes, but I'm with you. I think if I'm JJ and I want to win a ring, it's either Tampa Bay or green Bay. I said it right from the get go. Those are the two best chances, but Johnny, it also illustrates how difficult it is to 
not only win a Super Bowl, just to get to the Super Bowl. I mean, Tampa yeah. Bay did it, but look what they had to run through to get it done. And get it done, they did. But you have nothing to count. You, you can't assume anything in this league. I mean, Brady, I guess you could assume he's going to go to the Super Bowl almost <laughs> more often than not, almost. But that's about it. So maybe Tampa Bay is your best shot. Well, I mean, along those lines of going to the Super Bowl, I mean, you and I traded text earlier today because of the Carson Wentz trade. Mm-hmm. And I think it was a tweet from Field Yates showing quarterbacks that had been drafted from 2009 yes. through 2016. Yep. And you go, okay, well, if you draft a first-round quarterback, you're guaranteed success. I mean, I mean, of that group, none of those guys is with the original team. Now, for guys in 2009, 10, 11, okay. I mean, even Cam Newton. Cam Newton did get Carolina. I would say that was a successful draft pick. He got him to the Super Bowl. He won the MVP in 2015. Cam just ran into too many hits yep. and physically broke down his body. But you would think that's a sure thing, right? Well, those guys are all gone. Bortles, Manziel, Bridgewater. That was the 14 class. Mariota, Winston. That was the 15 class. The 16 class was Goff and Wentz. They're, you know, Goff got to a Super Bowl, and he would have been the one I wouldn't have thought of of that group. But it shows you how hard it is for anybody just to get there. So for a guy like JJ, you, you know, love to be able to see him get there. Some players that didn't even get to a, to a championship game. I mean, I unfortunately think Andre Johnson. It's like, you know, Dre didn't get to a championship game. So yep. you just want to at least have a chance to play in that game for the opportunity to play in a Super Bowl. So, you know, between Cleveland, Tennessee, and Buffalo, I think Buffalo is the closest. But I think if you want that great shot, I would do anything possible to get with Tampa Bay uh, and, and slide right in when Shaq Barrett goes out. And I think Tampa Bay is going to be very, very difficult to beat because what we saw from Tampa Bay in the last how many ever weeks of the year, after they got beat by the Chiefs the first time, you started seeing a team where things started to blend together. Then in the playoffs, playoff Lenny started playing his guts out at running back and they couldn't block anybody and they covered everybody. And, and they were just tough to beat. And now you throw J.J. in that mix, my goodness. It kind of reminded you of one of those Patriots seasons where they get hot around Thanksgiving, like Bill O'Brien always said, and they ride it into the sunset to a championship. Yeah. It reminded me of one of those. They Remember those Patriots? Remember those where they would <laughs> struggle? Not struggle, but maybe go two and two early, and everyone's saying, this is the end, and then they eventually get it together because – Teams have to improve. I go back to an O'Brien thing. Sorry, folks. But I go back to this. It's a get-better league, right? And you got to do it every day and every week, right? You, you, not, you are not who you were on opening day in week four, five, 10, 17. You're not. You can't be. You have to be better than that. Otherwise, you're going to go down. But back to the quarterback thing, I think it's fascinating conversation because you made a good point. Not all these guys are bums. I mean, it's not right. like – just because you drafted a guy in the first round between 2009 and 2016, he's terrible. No one's saying that. I mean, when you look at Matt Stafford, he's not terrible. He's a really good quarterback, but it didn't work out in Detroit. They didn't build around him. I'm not going to blame that on him. But there are a couple of guys I'll put in a similar class, not the same class, similar class. Mark Sanchez, they went to back-to-back AFC championship games. Were they lulled into thinking, 
this is our guy because you go to back-to-back AFC championship games, right? Are you thinking, well, he's got to be our quarterback. We just went to two AFC championship games. Same thing with Jared Goff and the Super Bowl appearance, even though they couldn't score points in the Super Bowl. You're looking at it like, well, we went to the Super Bowl with the guy. That's our quarterback. And then all of a sudden, you know what? It's not really all of a sudden, but this is this sort of gradual process of, I don't think that's our quarterback after all. Carson Wentz, I know that Foles took over a couple of times, but Wentz did have success early on. That's why they re-signed him, because it looked good. Like, okay, we got our quarterback, but then eventually, nope, not so much. RG3, remember the rookie year, how good it was before the injury. Andrew Luck retires. Tannehill fascinates me as well because here was a player who, eh, it's not working out so well in Miami. Maybe he wasn't all that. And now he's the dean of the AFC South (laughs) quarter. (laughs) Not really. Uh, That still belongs to Watson, right? So Yes. Yeah, that's true. It does. Those are going to be the four quarterbacks. Well, let's, I mean, you meant, you mentioned it when we were talking to the general, if, if, I mean, look, I, I was, I was doing a, a segment today down in, in Jacksonville for Jaguars today. And of course they want to talk all about the, the, the Sean situation. I'm just like, look, man, I don't know. Um, when you're, when you're, you know, young and stubborn. And I kind of recounted a story of which I was that way actually in Jacksonville. I was like, no, I was going <laughs> to, you know, no, I was sitting on $160 million contract, but I just can't think of life without him. Yep. So let's say Deshaun is a starting quarterback. You're looking at former first rounder, Ryan Tannehill with the Dolphins, now with the Titans, former first rounder with the Philadelphia Eagles, Carson Wentz, now with the Colts. Top Overall pick in this draft, more than likely Trevor Lawrence and Deshaun Watson first rounder. I mean, it's not it's not the days of 2015 when we saw Matt Hasselbeck for a couple games, uh, Z- uh, Z- uh, Zach, Zach Mettenberger Met- for a couple games. I loved him. Bortles for a couple of games. <laughs> it ain't quite the same. Although we did have Hoyer and Mallet starting for us, so it really wasn't the same. That's the thing. way around. Oh, my God. Everybody who poo-poos those division titles in 15 and 16, hey, you know, it wasn't like the Texans are trotting out Joe Montana, right? <laughs> or even Deshaun. Or even Deshaun at that point. Listen, we had to have Osweiler put up a robust 99 <laughs> yards on the road in Jacksonville to win. We needed every one of those 99 yards. And, you know, the last pass he made was a clock-killing reception by DeAndre Hopkins. Clutch that- throw. That got oh him the 99. <laughs> the thing about it was, in that, in that 2016 game, when he makes that throw, and I see him going back to pass on third down, oh. I remember saying, and I had my mic away from me, I was like, what the bleep? <laughs> <laughs> and then Hop beats Ramsey, and uh, all, all was well, seemingly, at least for that week. Uh, 99 yards. Next, I mean, yeah, nine, yeah, 99. We went from that. To two years after later. a bye week, after a bye week, <laughs> after a bye week, we're ready to throw the ball now. We put up ninety nine, but they won and six and yeah, three. Yeah, but the time. also because Bortles was throwing interceptions off of T.J. Yeldon's foot to Whitney Merciless. Oh yeah, yeah, that's there was right. that. It's oh, hard to believe you go from you go from ninety nine yards in a win to quarterback has to take a bus with a collapsed lung to a two win a later. couple of years later. Just amazing. <laughs> The NFL, it's amazing. All right, Johnny stays with us, and let's talk about off-season evaluation of players. 
it's weird to me because you have no combine. Are some of the numbers going to be hmm, incorrect that we get from these guys? Let's find out next on Texans Radio. Mark Vandermeer, John Harris with you on Texans Radio as promised. Let's talk about this, Johnny. The offseason evaluation of players. And last night I played some comments from Nick Casario in a conversation I had with him a couple of weeks ago about evaluating these guys with no combine. He mentioned that, yeah, the senior bowl was the last sort of, you know, direct group contact you're going to have with a lot of players. You will have some pro days, but we're so used to the measurements at the combine. I'm not just talking about height and weight. I'm talking about 40 times and shuttle times or whatever else they get uh, during the drills. How will that work? And I know they're, are some off-season workouts run separately from the NFL uh, in addition to pro days, but everything seems sort of all over the place. How do you homogenize, probably the wrong word, but how do you aggregate all that data, all those numbers, and try to come up with apples-to-apples comparisons? Yeah, I think think the word maybe you're looking for is normalize. Like, how do you make it across the board? That was a good word, homogenize. I like that. I, I don't know that you can, Mark. You're going to have pro day situations because that's really what they're going to try and do is testing is going to take place in pro day situations. I think one thing that GMs and scout, uh, scouts are going to have to be very leery of, and I say this because my good friend is, is an agent, and he's got a guy that's in my Harris 100, and he's been working out, and he's an incredible athlete, incredible athlete, and he's like, Jay, he's running this and he's benching this. Thing about it is I trust that agent. I trust my friend inherently because we've grown up together. He has never, ever given me a false thought on a player. Like if I, he had Antonio Gibson last year and I was asking him, what's Antonio? He has never wow. given me false information like, oh yeah, this guy's going to run a 4-3 and then he runs 4-6. He's never done it. So I can trust him. But the hard part is going to be for the GMs and scouts to be able to say, okay, this guy didn't have a great pro day. And the agent calls up and says, yeah, yeah, but look, you know he's a 4-4 guy. Hey, we just retested him. He ran 4-4. Well, do you trust that agent? Do you, tr- mm. do you trust that situation? Or do you rely on your eyes and what you see on the football field and go with that situation? And I think a great, a great example of that, I read an article from The Athletic. It was about the L.A. Rams. And it was about Brad Holmes, who is now the GM of Detroit. He's now, he was the director of college scouting with the Rams. And they have a scout in the Midwest who's kind of a, you know, old battle horse guy, just doesn't give a lot of first-round grades. He's only given like 10 first-round, top-of-the-line grades. He gave one to a guy named Jordan Fuller at safety. And he said, this guy is everything we want a football player. And everybody was shocked. Couldn't believe it. And Jordan Fuller was sitting on the board at, ironically, pick 199. And the Rams are like, we got to take him. And they took him, and he started. But his testing was like 4-7-0 or something at the combine. His testing was terrible. They went back to the scout, and they were like, this guy's test is just not very good. And they're like, well, hey, look, if we, we knew he was not going to test great, but we got everything else that we wanted that we were able to see with our own eyes that we didn't need, really need the testing to solidify that. We know he's a good player. Let's draft him. He ended up being a starter for the Rams this year. There's going to have to be more of that trusting a scout's instincts of what he sees on the field when he's been able to talk to that particular player and get a feel for him as opposed to, hey, here's what the number said. Here's, you know, you're not going to have that normalization across the board. So you just have to trust your eyes and trust what you've seen 
and then trust the type of guy, the trust the type of individual these guys are. Um, and that's a large, large part of the whole process in and of itself. I had a conversation with a buddy of mine the other day. I really like a defensive lineman. And I mentioned it to him. He goes, oh, man, he goes, I heard from multiple scouts. Not a good guy. Bad things off the field. I'm like, oh, man, that's a huge part of this process as well. And those are things you're going to be able to investigate while having to figure out what his pro date times are. Well, to your point, the anecdotal information, and it can't be everything, but it's a part of it. It has to be well-researched. You have to accumulate a lot of information on these guys from people you know, people you trust, no doubt about that. And one thing that Gary Kubiak, and I mention this every draft of offseason, offseason evaluation period, one thing Gary Kubiak used to say is at the combine, he likes to observe how the guys interact with each other, you know, yes. and who do they gravitate to, who's kind of leading during those drills. And you get some of that during the pro days, I guess, but you are with your buddies in that case. Yeah. At the combine, you're with new people, and you're going to be with new yep. people when you assimilate into whatever pro team you're going to. And I remember in 2014, the quarterback class, because we were all hyper-focused on quarterbacks doing what we do because we knew the Texans were looking for a quarterback of some sort. They ended up with Ryan Fitzpatrick, and they drafted Tom Savage in the fourth round and all that. But we were thinking – hey, you got a shot here to get Derek Carr or Johnny Manziel or Jimmy Garoppolo or one of those guys. And Manziel was clearly the guy everybody flocked to. And I think maybe that's just his superstardom, and he's really yeah. interesting. Uh, Derek Carr was number two, I thought, on the list. Bridgewater, I thought, was pretty high up there as well as far as just the charisma factor. Uh, but, you know, it's funny. I say those names now, and it's legendary stuff. How about Manziel playing in that fan league, whatever that is? Did you <laughs> see that last weekend? Yeah, I, I didn't quite know how to feel about it. <laughs> I just want I, – I honestly just want to remember Johnny beating Alabama in 2012. I just want to remember that yep. night. And I also want to remember how it almost didn't come to be, but that's a story for a different time and place. But, man, I loved watching him play college football. Johnny, thanks so much for being with us tonight, as always. Yeah, Mark. Take care. All right, tomorrow night we will be back. Plenty to talk about, as you never know what's going to happen around the league. And Johnny and I will share that with you. More thoughts on the Texans 2021 offseason. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being a part of the program tonight. And go Texans.